1: God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What Solomon is saying, he's saying, look, there will come a reckoning. There will come a day when you have to answer for the stuff you've done. So remember God when you're young. Remember God when you can change. Remember God when the life course can take the right turn.
0: That is Pastor Michael Oxenteco. This is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message is entitled, The Reckoning. That's The Reckoning, and don't forget, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget, the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at ReachingHearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Tenko.
1: Dear Father God, we are grateful today that we are saved by a faith that is not our own. Father, you have not called the final generation to cower in fear, but to live by faith. And Father, I believe that to the degree that I am willing to lose my job for the sake of the gospel. There are people who must hear, people who must know, people who must grow in the Bible. And Father, may we be people of the word. On Sundays, the church is full here at Reaching Hearts to our rental church. Father, we're the remnant church. What business do we have cowering in fear for the remnant church? Help us to come home, to occupy this place, to own it for service and the proclamation of God's word. And Father, may the voices of fear be eradicated from our head. Yes, may we be careful, but may we never be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this day is The Reckoning. It is a focus on the life of Joseph. Robert W. Service in his poem, The Reckoning, describes the reality that sooner or later a person must pay for their personal offenses. How many of you ever felt that? I must pay for my sins somehow. Has that gone through your head? It goes through all of our heads on occasion. Here's the poem, The Reckoning. It's fine to have a blowout in a fancy restaurant with terrapin and canvas back and all the wine you want, To enjoy the flowers and music, watch the pretty women pass, smoke a choice cigar and sip the wealthy water in your glass. It's bully and high-toned joint to eat and drink your fill, but it's quite another matter when you pay the bill. It's great to go out every night on fun or pleasure, to wear your glad rags away and to never save a cent. To drive along regardless, have a good time every trip, to hit the high spots sometimes and let your chances slip, to know you're acting foolish yet to go on fooling still till nature calls a showdown and you pay the bill. Time has got a little bill. Get wise while you may for the debit sides increasing in a most alarming way. The things you had no right to do, the things you should have done, they're all put down. It's up to you to pay for every one. So eat, drink, and be merry, have a good time if you will, but God help you when the time comes and you foot the bill. Now the title of this poem is The Reckoning. The poem is called The Reckoning because sooner or later, with a righteous God, there is always a reckoning for every misdeed and every error in life that is sin. God has a reckoning for the human race. Joseph's brothers lived a wild kind of life when they were young, and they never considered that there would come a reckoning. They never thought of what would happen after the fact, after they did those awful things, the wild things of youth. They were party boys and bad boys also who got into trouble a whole lot of time and who sought the trouble out for the shrill thrill and the high of bringing trouble into other people's lives. They were high on the testosterone scale. They were men, boys. They were driven by the hormones. Get into the groove, action. Any of the men here ever been in that youthful mode? Of course, fast cars, assertiveness, yes, Boy, I had to watch my boys growing up. They had Mustangs. They wrecked every Mustang they had. I bought them FJ Cruisers. I took it out of my home equity account so I could buy them cars that they couldn't flip. One of my sons flipped it. The other one ran into a tree. Mustangs, out of the question, testosterone and youth, not a good combination for safety. They could be explosive in the kind of trouble they sought out, and they caused the lives of others to have misery at times. They once killed an entire city of men at Shechem. And they killed Shechem's father also because he was their father. And then they sold the children and everyone else into slavery. These were bad boys, Jacob's boys. They didn't think twice about the consequences of their anger as they assumed narcissistically. I say narcissistically that those bad boys with their bad daddy in Shechem got what they fully deserved. They projected it all back on the people they abused. Joseph's brothers never assumed that they were the bad boys that needed to get what they deserved. Revenge is a way of blinding the young and the stupid and the arrogant to the ultimate consequences of their out-of-control anger. Youth can be a blind spot. They were blind. Jacob would later denounce the anger of Simeon and Levi, two of the twelve, when the time came to bless his sons just before he died. Turn to Genesis 49, verse 7. Genesis 49, verse 7. He said, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Joseph's brothers were twelve brothers, and they hated Joseph more than Shechem and his father, whom they killed also. And so Jacob said, Cursed be their anger. Let their anger go south. No more anger in my family. Look what it has done to our community, to our family, and to all of us. They hated Joseph enough. You see, they projected their anger when Shechem was gone and the city was destroyed onto their younger brother, their half-brother, The one that was the goody-two-shoes that daddy loved. The one that was spying them out because daddy sent them to make sure they were all right. They hated Joseph enough to plot his murder, even though they knew it would devastate their father. That's how much they hated their brother. But when murder wouldn't work out with a full brotherly consensus, because Reuben objected, they sold Joseph into slavery to get rid of him for good in their life. In their life is all they cared about. Not his life, not their father's life, in their life. That was the focus of their thinking. Let someone else kill him, they thought, as they sent him far away to die in a far off land. That's pretty sick, isn't it? I mean, you can't sink any lower than that. These are the brothers that would eventually make up the twelve tribes of Israel. God had to work with them or there would have been no holy nation. When you live a vain life and you think stupid thoughts like they did, you don't consider with the eye of wisdom that one day there will come a reckoning. Perhaps Solomon had Joseph's brothers in mind along with himself, because Solomon messed up too in a different kind of way. When he wrote a bit of advice at the end of his life for younger kids and the next generation, turn to Ecclesiastes 12. Let's look at verse 1 and then verse 14. He says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before, Now, before means before. Before the evil days come. And the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What Solomon is saying, he's saying, look, there will come a reckoning. There will come a day when you have to answer for the stuff you've done. So remember God when you're young. Remember God when you can change. Remember God when the life course can take the right turn. Remember God in the days of youth. The story of Joseph's brothers and Joseph is in fact the story of the reckoning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 42 verse 13 where we'll enter the storyline from last week in our series on Joseph. Here the story resumes of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is second next to Pharaoh and he knows them. He knows his brothers. He recognizes his brothers. But in the storyline, they don't have a clue who he is. Verse 13, and they said, we are your servants, our 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Verse 14, Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. I mean, he's just pretty blunt. You're spies. Verse 15, by this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Have you ever been tested? How many of you ever had a test and you failed the test? Okay. Well, we've all failed tests. I've failed tests before. I try to encourage people, if you fail a test, you haven't failed. You've simply learned a lesson for the next examination. You have an opportunity to learn from your past and grow. The Hebrew word translated tested can mean to scrutinize, to examine with eyes, to test and try something like metal in a furnace. It implies in the context the examination of character. Joseph's focus now in the story is on his younger brother, Benjamin, who's only their half-brother because as Joseph is only their half-brother, they got a mixed-up family dynamic. Half-brothers, not whole-brothers. And when you're a half-brother, you can do something with the mind. A half-brother can dwindle down to less than half. And your half-brothers treat you like you're despicable. When you hate a half-brother, you might discover that he is no brother at all in your mind. Joseph gets pretty stout with them at this point. Verse 16, send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain in prison that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. I mean, he's dwelling on this idea, you are spies. Now that would have been a certain death sentence in ancient Egypt. You came to spy out the richest kingdom in the world, you're spies, you're dead in a week or two. And he put them all together and look what it says, and prison for three days. Oh, they came for bread. They came for a sudden reprieve from the famine. They end up in jail. So their dad's not getting the help. Everybody else is not getting the food. It looks like they're going for death row. At first, Joseph said, choose one of you to go home. But then he threw them all in prison, since after all, they had thrown him into the pit at Dothan that led to his prison in Egypt. Their three days in prison seemed like an eternity to these bad boys who have been free all their life. Perhaps Joseph threw them into the same prison he was in for all those years. Do you remember the name of that prison? What was it called? The circle of the what? The roundhouse. So it implies the circle of the mundane going around and around and around. Now we don't know if it was the same prison or not, but for the first time in their collective bad boy lives, they now felt the horrible feeling of living in a jail, not knowing if they were going to die or live, not knowing if they were going to be executed at any moment, That's how Joseph felt for many years. Now they got a taste of it. Joseph had lived a life that was uncertain day after day for a long time in the prison. That was the circle of the mundane. So suddenly these brothers of his had to slow down in jail. Jailhouse Joe threw the others in jail. Verse 18, on the third day Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. Now Joseph appears to be a ruthless region in Egypt. He probably bows down to the falcon god Horus, the sun god Ra, the Egyptian old fertility god Apis, the bull, who was considered to be the embodiment of Ta, the creator god. That's why they built a golden calf. They thought that they were building a calf for the creator god of Egypt. They had names for all their gods in Egypt. But Joseph here uses the Hebrew name Elohim for God, the right name for God. The same word issued in Genesis 1 verse 1 Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not Ta, or Apis, or Ra, or Horus, or any other the Egyptian pantheon. He uses the Hebrew name for God, Elohim, has God, God, Elohim. I fear Elohim. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And Joseph told his brothers that Elohim is the God that he feared. That should have given them a clue that something was different about this ruler in Egypt. This ruler in Egypt was not like any other ruler. Joseph said, I fear God, Elohim. Now I ask you the question, do you fear God in your walk with God? Do you really fear Him or do you take Him as a casual deed in your life that you can treat with hands off and do whatever you want, it doesn't matter? Or do you feel in some way you are accountable to the God you worship because there is a reckoning? Do you fear God? Solomon said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In Deuteronomy 10.12, Moses said that the fear of the Lord is to love the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's not terror. It's a respect born out of relationship, covenant relationship. He says in Deuteronomy 10.12, the fear of the Lord is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. To keep His commandments, to walk in all His ways. It's to have a covenant relationship with God. It's not necessarily being perfect, because none of us are. It is to come into a relationship where you value who God is and you love Him with your whole heart and you're in covenant relationship to Him and thus you fear the Lord. It's quite a claim to make when you say, I fear God. The final generation, the first angel's message, it says they will fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. We are living in a time when the fear of the Lord must return to the world in our own relationship with God. So Joseph said, I fear God. He meant every word of it, I fear God. Suddenly Joseph's brothers are more afraid now than ever before. It is God, Elohim, that fearful, creator, all-powerful God of Genesis 1 yet to be written. It's the God they've heard about from their ancestors that pulled it all together. And now they can associate what happened to Joseph, what they did to Joseph, how they let God down, how they sinned against God, and how they sinned against their brother. It's all coalescing in their minds and hearts in the day of their distress. Verse 18 again. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God, and then verse 19, if you are honest men. Joseph says, if you are honest men. Those painfully tentative words sank like arrows into their compromised hearts, their wounded consciences, the realization they had bad boy lives in the past.
0: We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael tanko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today. So please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxen-Tanko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: Joseph continued, let one of your brothers remain confined in your prison. Notice the phrase, in your prison. They had told Joseph that they were the collective of 12 brothers when they said to him, we are 12 brothers. And now Joseph reminds the 10 that came to Egypt that the prison they leave behind to go back to Canaan is their prison. It's waiting for them. He can seek them out. He can find them in that far off land. They are not off the hook just because he's letting them go. Thus they are de facto convicts with a sentence and a bounty on their heads unless they return as honest men for the reckoning to follow at his hand. Joseph is here implying that he can find them out in Canaan. He can arrest them. He can drag them back to the jail, to the circle of the roundhouse. He can inflict judgment upon them. They cannot run. Anywhere in the world he will find them. There must be a reckoning. this is not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to come to Egypt to put their money down, to get grain and leave. A simple transaction. And now they're in the struggle of their life for life. They don't have a clue what's going to happen to them. Look in verse 19. And let the rest go, Joseph says, and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you will not die. And they did so. So one person stays in jail, the rest goes back. And the idea is bring your younger brother back. You tell the truth, you live, you don't, everyone dies. That command was simple. Bring your brother to me and prove to me that you are not liars. You know, the pointed purpose of Joseph's interrogation is the simple and profound demand to bring your brothers, your youngest brother, to me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, bring him to Pharaoh. He didn't say, bring him to the local magistrate. The two words that could have caught their attention, they missed it in the phrase, bring your brother to me. Benjamin was Joseph's only full brother, and Joseph had suffered unjustly at the hands of his half-brothers. Bring your brother to me. Ask yourself the question, what price did Joseph pay for the hatred of his brothers and his inability to solve their anger? What was his psychological cost? What was the calculus in his life? Here's the answer. Joseph lost his father who loved him. Joseph lost those in the family who loved him, sort of. You know, we call the not-so-close people in the family. But more profoundly and most profoundly, Joseph lost his little brother after his mother died when she was still young. All he had of his mother was his younger brother, and the loss of his brother represented to him a loss more profound than death itself. He lost everything. I lost my brother to a severe death a few years ago. I lost him to the death of love, the death of relationships. I lost him to what happened to me when I was thrown into the pit. He was thrown away from me. You know, in my own life, I have lost a brother. Many of you know this a couple years plus back. I lost my brother to a severe death when he took his own life in his depression and affliction. I never imagined that my youngest brother would commit suicide. Friends, addiction is an affliction. You know, I had all these opinions as to what opioids was like. You know, as a pastor, you're supposed to say something's wrong. But when your brother is the addict, when he gets there because of meds he took, and then also insecurities in the mix, it's just a horrible thing to navigate for all around him, mostly for him. When I saw my brother under the throes of this thing, I picked up on the fact too late And I tried to really intervene to make a difference in his life. I have to say, addiction is a disease, and I don't judge anyone who struggles with it. I hope you don't judge me and my family, because we felt it hard. The opioid crisis that has hit this generation, the Generation Xers especially, is devastating. I live with my brother's choice to die every day. Did you hear that? I live with it every day. I did everything I could to keep him from dying. I prayed for him and with him. Once I discovered that he was there, I was like Velcro in his life. I called him daily on the phone to encourage him. I put him up in a rehab twice and paid for it with no regret. I tried to manipulate circumstances to get him stable and other family members stable around him. Stable, stable, stable. That was the word. Just make things stable. But the more I tried, the crazier it got, and the less effective I was in saving his life. In fact, I was struggling with this during the building, the final building phase of this property. Many of you didn't know, I was balancing trying to make sure the building was right with trying to keep my brother alive. And for a couple of weeks, I lost track of my brother because of a crisis with the builder. And that was the couple of weeks at the end of which my brother committed suicide. I mean, I'm telling you, it hit me hard. I began to juggle and think about the building and the struggle and everything in light of that. And when I heard that he had shot himself in a state of despair, I went numb for a few weeks as I sank into the pit of Dothan and the long journey from it to Egypt. You see, we all have that journey from Dothan to Egypt. We all have something that happens in our life that we didn't predict, we didn't know how to happen. It did, and it changes us. I functioned here, but I was numb by the loss. I don't talk about things like that too much. Maybe sometimes I let it out. But I don't talk about the stuff going through my heart and my emotions. Are you like me? Any people like me out there? We kind of keep that inside. I was trying to sort out God's will in my life and my family's life to no avail for a time. I struggled with meaninglessness as I was struggling for the church's future at that time. I was pretty good at hiding from others what I was going through alone inside. Some of you know, but most of you don't know, and maybe that's the way it is for all of us. Most of us never know what's going through someone else's mind and heart. I lost my brother to a death I could not prevent, to a death I could not stop. I'm the fixer in my family. I'm the person that gets engaged to stop the stuff that's crazy and to make it sane. I've taken enormous risks in my life to fix things that are out of control Or to stand in the gap for others who are inflicting harm. That's kind of who I am. But I couldn't save my own brother. Joseph lost his brothers to a life far away he couldn't prevent. He lost Benjamin. His full brother. Not his half brother. His full brother. Because of choices they made. Hatred they inflicted on him. And the wall between Benjamin and Joseph was huge. Separating them by the boundary of national boundaries. Separated by these huge boundaries. Joseph couldn't fix it. Joseph had resigned himself to never see Benjamin again. In fact, in one place he says, God has caused me to forget all my father's house and all my pain because it's the same thing. My father's house, my pain. But with it came the loss of Benjamin. To know that your brother is alive and that he is lost to you forever alive is more horrible than just losing him to death and then having some kind of closure Joseph had no closure to the loss in his life. Joseph was a wounded person, a traumatized person. Why? Because alienation and loss can be resolved to a degree by the finality of death. No such cure was given Joseph. But when the suffering of the loss lives on and on and on, and you can't do anything about it as it lives on, it is the worst kind of pain, the worst kind of loss, that brings the worst kind of loneliness into your life. Joseph said to his brothers, Bring your brother to me. Can't you feel the force of that statement? Bring your brother to me. There is a pain in that statement that is crying out with years of tears behind it. Bring your brother to me. Verse 21, Genesis 42. Then they said to one another in truth, We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he besought us, and we would not listen. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Joseph's key phrase is the statement, bring your brother to me. Their key statement to themselves is, we would not listen. Boy, what a mix of things. They are arguing with themselves because they have fallen into the pit of their guilt and shamed and never rise again. I mean, Joseph was thrown in the pit. They have sunk into a pit deeper than the one they put him in.
0: Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast, the first portion of The Reckoning. will continue the next time we get together. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707.